This is Collected Clan, episode 23. Three and a half years into a marriage where you're not able to be a great communicator, you're withholding, you know, parts of yourself, that's not sustainable. Welcome to Collected Clan the podcast featuring conversational biographies of relatable people with real stories of triumph and tragedy, plus successes and setbacks. I'm your host, Gregory Byerline. People often come and go, but these people are the company you keep, and I get to tell their stories. So we're back, kicking off another round of inspiring audio portraits. I know it's been a while. Simply had to dedicate time to ultramarathon training, which led to dedicating time to deepening relationships with my wife and kids, plus diving deeper into my full-time career as commercial photographer and team leader for a large retail corporation. I've thought about the show every day since, and I'm thrilled to bring you these great audio biographies. My guest today is Shannon Stowe. Now, there are one-name celebrities, and here we have a 1N Shannon. Look it up. Shannon is a colleague from 20 years ago who became a client and a friend. She has a powerful story you need to hear. and We cover a lot of ground, tying it all together in a braided hindsight that 20 years of life experience brings. And we continue the nonprofit spotlight. So pour some coffee or lace up your running shoes and hear about entrepreneurship, publicity, surviving viral celebrity, trauma and mental health, and numerous aha moments along the way. We even turn the tables as Shannon asks me a thoughtful question. This is real life right here, folks. Visit our show notes at collectedclan.com slash Shannon Stowe. Remember, she's a 1N Shannon, so that's collectedclan.com slash S-H-A-N-O-N-S-T-O-W-E. There you'll see additional info, including Spotify playlists of songs we discuss and a link to the nonprofit Shannon supports. Here we go. Shannon, thanks for coming on. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited <laughs> to chat with you today. I'm excited too. It has been way too long. Now, I must confess that I only have known you to be a publicist. Mm-hmm. You were a publicist yep. like day one when I met. That's all I, think I know. That's how my kid knows me. <laughs> <laughs> Professionally, I'm Shannon. You work with media trainers. You are a spoken word professional. I might be a little intimidated <laughs> to be interviewing no. you, but we're, we're friends. So I'm, I'm really not, but it is kind of funny. So I was doing the math today and it was either 19 or pushing 20 years ago that we met when we were on the marketing team together at Thomas Nelson Publishers. Yes. Do you remember yeah, this? Like our, our, our desks were like, oh, we were back to back. So we had that yes. little walkway in between us. The best years. That was a good year. Although I have to confess, and I've said this on another podcast that I was a guest on, but my six months at Thomas Nelson were some of the longest six months of my life. <laughs> from a work perspective, not from a, a friend and fun perspective. Absolutely. And, and when I told that story, I cited you and Paige as like my favorite souvenirs from my Nelson experience. The company is fabulous. The, the team leadership was fabulous. I was just a square peg in a round hole. Yeah, um, it just didn't fit. So I was uh, reorganized out six months in, and that's okay. 
Yeah. I have moved on from there. But so (laughs) Shannon, the publicist, what I don't know about you is why you chose publicity and public relations. That's such a good question. And it's, it's fun for me to think back because I don't as often reflect on the past career history as much now that I'm 20 plus years in, which is really hard to say too. But I actually went to college to be an advertising major. I thought that I wanted to be this big shot advertising executive. And I went to college and I found out I hated it. I was not good at it. It was not my like cup of tea. So I was in my senior year of college and a friend came in one afternoon and she said, Hey, I have been working part-time at this company called Tommy Nelson, uh, the children's division of Thomas Nelson. And she said, I'm done. So they're going to look for someone to replace me. Do you want the job? And I was like, is it that simple? Like I can just have the job. And she's like, yeah, if I just tell them like, you're going to come and work, like they'll want to meet you, but you'll probably get the job. And I was like, sure, I need another job, you know, starving college student. And I was like, I'm all in. So I go and I meet with them and sure enough, they hired me. And I basically was like stuffing mailers with books and press materials and, Uh, shipping costumes all over the country because it was a children's publisher. And so we had sets of really fun costumes that we sent out for some of our book characters. And uh, the next thing you know, I'm about to graduate college and they were kind enough to offer me a full-time job as a publicist. I don't even know that I knew what that meant at the time because all I was doing, like I said, was like stuffing mailers and, you know, doing the, the admin work, which was great because doing that work prepared me to be a publicist because I began to read everything that I was doing and I was watching and I was listening and paying attention and I just kind of fell right into it. That's really cool. Yeah. I did not know that. So at what point did your current partner in crime, who's been your ride or die for decades, when did Paige come into the scene? So that very summer that I was hired full time, Paige came in and this is like the best story ever, but she came in and we joked that she was my intern because where I graduated college in like four years, Paige ended up going for four and a half years. And so that summer in between the time when I graduated and the semester, like before she graduated, she came back home and she was my intern. And so it was really fun. And we met and we became fast friends. And she actually taught me how to write a press release because she was a journalism major and I had no idea. And she was like, she read one of my press releases when she was stuffing packages. And she was like, you don't know how to do this. She's like, (laughs) oh, girl, have a seat. She was like, can I just redo this? And I was like, yes, please. So we became fast friends and 20 something years later, here we are. So refresh my memory. I was there for six months. How were you two? How long were you two at Nelson? So I was there for five and a half years. Five and, and a half years. Okay. Mm-hmm, Paige was there. I'm actually not sure. Um, because when she, after she interned, she left and then she came back into the company, you know, a year or two later. 
And truth be told, the reason she took four and a half years of college is probably because she picked up four other degrees along the way, you know, <laughs> right? and just crammed it into one more semester. Right. Well, and, and she had, you know, a, a ton of things that she was involved in. She was also the newspaper editor at her college and a variety of other things that she did and was involved in. And so she was not a big nerd like me who just did her schoolwork and worked her jobs. So <laughs> she actually had a life. So at that time, I was doing some freelance creative work. Uh, in addition to photography, I was doing some graphic design. So I remember getting a call from you guys, and you were telling me that you were going to start your own PR firm. Yes. Which was PS Media Relations. Yes. Page and Shannon Media Relations. Uh, mm-hmm. Was that literally like from Nelson to PS Media Relations? Or was, was. there something in between? Not for me. There, there was for Paige, although I can't remember right now what it was, but it, it's really interesting. And, and this little nugget is important because it was a catalyst for my life. But looking back on it, I now know that it was the voice of the Lord and it's a way that I see him work in my life. But I had really just been feeling this stirring towards something else. And I was starting to get restless where I was, and I just had this knowing in my spirit that something was coming. And I now know that was like the preparation of the Holy Spirit. But Paige calls me out of the blue one day, and she said, hey, let's go to lunch. And we go to lunch. And we're sitting at this little Mexican restaurant over near Thomas Nelson. And she said, do you want to start a company? And it was like a light bulb went off and it was like, this is the something else. Like, this is the next, this is the, the, it was like the words that my soul had been waiting for, but I had no idea that I was waiting for it. And I literally, I just remember looking at her and being like, yes, yes, I do. (laughs) Let's do this. (laughs) So it was crazy because we just did it. And that's kind of the beauty sometimes of just being young and spontaneous too, is we didn't give it a lot of thought. We just jumped. I often think of the corporate branding work that you hired me to do for PSME Relations. I just found it fun. I I hope it worked for you guys. I hope it served you well. (laughs) But what the funniest thing about the development of all of that corporate identity, uh, your logo, your letterhead and all that stuff back when actually you sent paper (laughs) instead of email. You know, I mean, we built this whole like stationary portfolio for you guys to use with envelopes and mailing labels and business cards and all this stuff. And now everything's just electronic. But uh, when we were like, we're probably at Portland Brew over coffees, kicking things around and in true page fashion, you get a bunch of entrepreneurs in a room. We start like picking off, oh, here's a business idea. Here's a business idea. Here's a business idea. And every time I walk by a porta potty, Mm-hmm. I think of you guys because of this was before food trucks and coffee trucks, because we had the idea of a mobile coffee service yes, and we, did. we wanted to call it Porta Joe, Porta Joe <laughs> which was brilliant. It was totally brilliant. And we should have, we, yeah, we, we never did it, but we it, was out there. it was fun. Yes. So uh, there, there are often porta potties at trail events. So I often do think of you gals frequently 
when I go buy a porta potty. <laughs> that's great. So, I've how's that for a trigger? That. So that's a good one. Hands down, though, I have to say that that was my favorite branding ever. And some people might say, oh, you're just being nostalgic. Like there's something there with that being your first business. And there might be a little bit of that, but I honestly think that it was really fantastic in its time. It just, it was fun. I enjoyed it so perfectly. And every piece of it was just customized to a T and it was just, it was awesome. So maybe you should do our new, our our new branding. (laughs) Let's talk. Uh, Off this call. Yeah. So from PS Media Relations, did you go into Icon next? No. So after, so PS Media, we ran the company for a little over five years and we both were going through a series of life changes. There was just a lot going on in our personal lives for both of us. And it came to what just felt like a natural pause. And so we both just kind of took a breather right? Mm -hmm. For a variety of reasons and ended up shutting that company down. And Paige moved on into another line of work. And I moved on into uh, just going back to a publishing house. And I went to Hachette Book Group. They are one of the top five publishers in the world, which I did not know when I went there, but (laughs) they are (laughs) unbelievable. And they publish some of the biggest name authors that you could ever imagine. And it was really a fantastic place to work. And it grew me up in publishing. It grew me up in life experience. It grew me up in professionalism in a way that I don't think I knew that I needed. And it was really, really wonderful. And I was there for about six years. And Paige, she went into TV booking and she did that for several years and just booked like talking head, you know, politicians and leaders and on cable news. At what point did Icon come on the scene? We had reached this place, I think, in our professional lives where our personal lives and our professional lives kept butting up against each other, right? So wives, moms, corporate life, we were stressed out. We were working lots of hours. We were away from home a lot. I was traveling a lot, like a lot, a lot. And you just felt like you couldn't juggle it all well. I didn't feel like I could. I don't think she felt like she could either. And so we were, I remember, I remember exactly where I was. I was driving down the road, driving to work. And I was on Bell Road going over to Brentwood, like in Nashville. And uh, Paige calls and we're talking and just talking about the rat race. And she's like, maybe we should start another company. And I was like, done. (laughs) (laughs) And so there you have it. I mean, that's just about how easy it is for both of us. Um, It's really odd, um, I think, but there's also something really special in it that we both just knew. We had both been being stirred again, had just really been feeling that something else was coming. And so I think somebody just needed to say it out loud. And once somebody did, it was like, okay, now we're off to the races. Like, ah, now we can talk. Yep. What year was that? Do you recall? That was uh, 2013. 2013. Yep. And that was an all-female business, correct? Yes. 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 Was that on purpose or is that just how it worked out? 
No, on purpose. On purpose. Okay. Yeah. Talk to me about building a business in an all-female environment from top to bottom. Why was that important to you specifically? I think that we have long worked in an industry that is male dominated. A lot of industries are male dominated. Like, let's just be honest. It's not just ours. And what we know is that the average consumer for a lot of the products that we promote is female. And she's probably a middle-aged wife and mom. And what you have in the majority of companies are a lot of men sitting around the table making decisions about that consumer And we just felt really strongly that we could serve our audience well because we know it. And so it wasn't an intentional, like we don't necessarily ever want any guys here, but we also know that we can do this as women. I think that's the best way to describe it. Oh, that's good. And so I think a lot of people might say, women can be hard to get along with women, you know, women together, there can be competition, there can be backbiting, there can be jealousy, there can be gossip, there can be all these things that I think people can stereotype for women and their relationships together. But I will tell you, I have always had great working relationships with women. And so I have just been very fortunate not to have experienced a lot of those things. And so I feel like we were able to build an organization of people that really cared about each other and really loved each other and kind of became a bit of a family. And truth be told, all of that interpersonal conflict can happen in a company of all guys. Oh, yeah. So the conflict and the personality butting up against each other, I mean, it's there. It just might manifest itself differently. Right. Whether it's expected or not, it's still a conflict and it's just stuff you have to work through. Yep. How was it working in that industry as an all-female publicity firm? What did you bump up against that you didn't expect to bump up against? I think in some ways it's been really great because a lot of people get it. Like they, they see the all female company and they're like, wow, this is a women owned women run business. And, you know, that's great. However, I think that our industry has still predominantly had a very like male hierarchy and patriarchy. And so it's just been a bit to bump up against. Sometimes I think that there are some people who would prefer to work with men And so that would automatically disqualify us because we're not men and we don't have a man on our team, but that's also vice versa, right? There are some women that wouldn't want to work with any men. And so that might qualify us. And so while I would say we have probably bumped up against challenges and disrespectful conversations and things like that, I think that there have also just been so many pros to it that I just try not to see them, you know? Just take them in stride. Yeah. And the the team members that I've met, because I had the privilege of photographing your entire company. Yes. Two, two or three summers ago. Yes. Just amazingly sharp people. Yes. Smart, articulate, friendly, 
funny, like everything that you would want to experience in meeting a new person. Yes. It was all there. That was a super fun time. And I could tell that you guys were really riding high with some success. Yes. And I think there is an intentionality of wanting to become more like a family. Mm-hmm. And I remember when Paige and I started our first business together, there were some people who told us, you're not going to be able to work together because you're best friends. Like, aren't you scared of that? What it could do to your relationship. And I know that there are some situations where it doesn't work, but for us, it just works and it always has worked. And so we prefer to view our team as a family. So that's the atmosphere that we try to create. It shows. Um, I care more about them as people than I do about them as employees, if that makes sense. Yeah. And you answered the question I was about to ask is what it was, what is a key to that success? And I think that summed it up mm-hmm. right there. And because what's more important to me is that they're doing and moving exactly as the Lord is leading them in their life. And sometimes that's a season for them to be an icon. And that, that might just be a stepping block, right. To the rest of their life. So they may move on into other things and into, you know, other careers and things like that. And that's a, okay. You know, yeah. other than we're going to start out as an all female company, what is another thing that you intentionally set out to do to be different, to make a difference, to stand out among the other publicity firms servicing that market? I think because we had been in-house at a publishing company before, um, so, you know, some of us had been at several publishing companies, we uniquely understand the needs of both the publishing client, if a publisher is hiring us, and the author if an author is hiring us, because we've sat in the role of the in-house publicist at a publishing house. So we know the inner workings of the entire publishing process. We know what it's like for those working in-house. We know what it's like for the one writing the book. We know all the ins and outs of those things. And so our number one kind of hallmark thing is service, right? So what I can do is give you the best level of service that I know how. And so if I do my best to serve you well in everything, not just in the phone conversations we have or the brainstorming we have, but also when it comes down to even all the tiny details, right, of calendaring an interview for you. If I can serve you really well all the way through the process, then I think that I've done my job. And I think that we stand head and shoulders above other firms by doing that because quality is important. Listening and understanding the needs of the client is very important. And so I think that just the the work that we've done in the past has given us a unique position to serve them really well. That's awesome. And it clearly has shown. I enjoy watching your social media feeds mm-hmm. when you're talking about your work and, and what you're promoting. And I particularly remember something that hit the scene five years ago. Oh, I want to play something for you. I want to take you down okay. memory lane here okay. because this is a riot. Here we go. 
Not for Duncan, not for Cadence. I mean, I'll let them play with it. I'm not a bad mom. I'm not a jerk. But in all honesty, at the end of the day, it doesn't go in their toy box. It goes in my room. So here we go. I got to take off my glasses for it. <laughs> oh, naturally. Okay, here we go. So, yes. Now watch when my mouth actually moves. <laughs> One of my favorite people in the whole world. That's not me making that noise. It's the mask. Here, listen. So that was clearly Candace Payne. And yes. this literally came up in the Facebook memory five years ago that she took the internet by storm. Yes. Sure and you did. got to work with her directly. Yes. Yes, we did. And I cannot think of a more beautiful representation of pure joy than that video, because that is literally what she caught right there that day in her car, not for anybody, but just her friends and family right. you know, on Facebook. And who knew that 350 plus million people would then tune in and watch that video. And it was remarkable. Like I just, I fell in love with her the first moment I saw her. Yeah. How could you not? Yes. So when I saw that you guys were working with her, sorry, that when I saw that you gals were working with her, I was just, I'm like, <laughs> yes, they have officially arrived. Despite all the high profile authors that I know you've worked with and books you've worked on and movies yeah. and all this stuff. I'm like, yes, my friends have arrived. <laughs> oh, that's so kind. Well, you know, again, I'm just gonna, I will probably say this a lot during this conversation, but that also was just a total like God connection. It's one of those things where you always wonder, like you look back and you think, how, how do things connect and how do things come together? And in my life, I just see all of these like little divine moments where the Lord has orchestrated things that we could have never done on our own. And so all the credit goes to him. But we had worked on a book of a friend of Candace's. And so when all of this happened to Candace, just like it will ha it happens to anyone, right. Who posts a video that then goes viral is the media starts calling and you never know how they get your phone number. And I remember her thinking that, how did these people get my phone number? But everyone's calling and leaving voicemails. Hey, this is Good Morning America. This is the Today Show. This is, you know, James Corden, whomever. Uh, we want to have you on our show. And not only do they start calling you, they start showing up at your house. Oh, and man. Very quickly after that video started going viral, by the next morning, she was like a sensation. She went from just being just like a regular person like you and I to being an international recognized person, internationally recognized person. And 
that's very overwhelming. And so her friend gave us her phone number and said, Hey, my friend Candace posted this video. It's gotten a little bit of traction and we, we think she might need some help. Well, the funny thing was, is I hadn't seen it yet. So uh, I hadn't seen it. I'm like, what is she talking about? So I'm like Googling and then I watch it and I'm dying. Like I was literally like dying. And so then I call my husband in, I call my son in and I'm like, you've got to watch this. This video is like the best thing I've ever seen. And so literally Paige and I just gave her a call and she picked up the phone and we had a chat and we just said, Hey, we don't know each other, but here's what we do. And can we just make this an enjoyable experience for you? And she was like, yes. And so we thought, let's help her orchestrate something that would be super fun, right? So that she can go and do some great media. It will be like really nice to her and she'll have a really great time. And I think all of us thought that would be like one day in New York. And so we all go to New York for this like one day of media. and. Then it's like, oh, and now you're going to go to LA and now you're going to go to San Francisco and you're going to go to like the Lucasfilm, you know, place and, and all the things There were just all these invitations rolling in. And so, uh, what you thought would be a one day blip on the radar sensation, uh, was a moment where Candace was able to step into her destiny, who she always has been and who is, and that is just a, an amazing truth teller, of not only the word of God, but also just a woman who has pure joy in the midst of some of life's hardest circumstances. And so she's been able to share some of that of her life. And it's beautiful because it's resonated with a lot of people who have been going through tough times. And so she's a pure joy. Yep. You can't watch that and not just tear up and belly laugh. Yep. One of the best moments of our life for sure. So this was one of Shannon's best moments of life. But what would it be like to be on the other side of celebrity? The one who rides the meteor of instant fame. How would you handle the spotlight? Let's continue our conversation by exploring that question. Here's Shannon's professional perspective from the front lines. What's it like for someone like Candace or any viral sensation celebrity that you've worked with, what, what do you see when the cameras aren't rolling? What kind of impact does that flash pot celebrity have on an everyday person? Oh, goodness. I think it can really vary based on the person and how they choose to walk through it, right? We're all given opportunities to choose humility, love, and grace, and some people choose it and some people don't. And, you know, you see some people might go up in flames in pride and ego, and then others can, can walk through it humbly. And I think that regardless becoming a a success, quote unquote success in the world is hard for anyone who walks that road to become a public personality has to, I think be one of the hardest things that you could walk through because there's so much of your life that then the public believes that they have access to. 
I can't imagine what it's like to live like that, you know, but they're all memorable. I enjoy all of the experiences that I'm able to have with all of them, whether it be in a green room, having a conversation or, you know, whether it's watching them do their thing on national TV or or whatever. I, I enjoy all of those moments because it's a, it's an opportunity to connect with another human being who may see life differently than I do. And I think that's really cool. Does anyone come to mind that had that kind of instant spotlight success and didn't handle it well and just somewhat crashed and burned? You don't have to (laughs) say their name, but like, I mean, have you seen that? Oh, yes. Which is more common, the crash and burn or the sore? I think it's more common that behind the scenes, even if they're soaring, they can also be hurting. Mm. Because, like I said, it can feel very lonely. Who can you really trust? The world is exposed to most of your life. And who can you really open up to that's around you? I'm going to put this as one of your strategic advantages uh, for your company, in addition to being an all-female business, but to you and Paige, because I know you and I know your hearts and I know your character, that you guys are put in that place for that particular moment Mm. to be there for the people who, even though it looks like they're soaring, they may be crashing and burning on the way down. And you're there once the cameras turn off. To help walk them through that. Yeah, to help walk them through it. Yeah, I came across a Jim Carrey quote recently that's kind of stuck in my mind. I think everybody should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so they can see it's not the answer. Yes, it's true. And I think that some people do find their identity and their success. And that may be where the trouble begins, right? Yeah. And however, we do have a unique position in their life and the Lord at times will allow us to speak into them and to help build them up and to help be there for them, to be a sounding board, to be a listening ear when they're not sure where they can turn or who they can trust. And I don't take that for granted because, I mean, let's be honest, like I've also crashed and burned plenty of times in my life. (laughs) I think we all have, if we're really honest with ourselves and we're all just human. And so being able to connect with another human being, whether it's in their brokenness or in their success is really a treasure. Let's take a quick break for our nonprofit spotlight selected by our guest. Convoy of Hope would be high on my list They are a global disaster and hunger relief organization. They are based right here in the United States. They're in Springfield, Missouri, and they are often on the scene before anyone else. When a natural disaster occurs, tornadoes, hurricanes, they go into cities and they provide food and water and supplies and they help connect in the community. They also feed um, in rural communities all around the United States, but then they also have feeding programs and job sustainability programs for women um, in other countries, third world countries. And um, not only am I a personal supporter, but Icon is also a supporter. And we are just a, a really proud supporter of their Convoy Women program and are really proud to support the employment of a number of women in other countries so that they can help provide for their families. 
To learn more about Convoy of Hope and the work they do, please visit convoyofhope.org. Now let's return to our conversation with Shannon Stowe as we wade into deeper waters. What we've talked about so far is awesome, well and good, completely you. That's just an introduction. <laughs> because what I really what I really want to talk with you about is Shannon the person. I've heard some of your story. And one particular thing I want to, I want to start this off with a little moment of honoring. Uh, and I'm going to do a little bit of a spoiler alert. You are close and I'll go close-ish because you can explain how close you are, but you are actually close friends with your husband's ex-wife. Yeah. I remember seeing that and you talking about it and the two of you, like, you know, Facebook loving on each other when you were sharing this family moment or this other. And I literally, from the other side of the screen, the social media, there, it does have a good aspect. I watch that. And every time you two post something, I'm like, let me see where this is going now. And I just want you to know that I think that is super cool. Oh. <laughs> because that's very rare yeah. that you have this, I don't want to say, it, I guess, is it a co-parenting thing? Like, so tell me about that. How did that all happen? Well, like anything, it wasn't immediate. You know, I think when you have been through a divorce and you are learning how to co-parent your children with your ex-spouse, there's just a lot of emotions involved, you know, not just from going through a divorce, but then also these are your babies. These are your children. And there are times when they're going to be away from you and they're going to be in another home. And, and I just, I can't imagine what that's like for parents as they are navigating that because I'm in the relationship as kind of the bonus person, right? Like I'm stepmom or bonus parent or whatever people want to call it. And so in the beginning, it was really tricky because navigating all of that with a new person is really, really hard. And so I think I just, in the beginning, hoped to just blend into the background. <laughs> Shannon, when have you ever blended into the background? <laughs> <laughs> oh, you know, because you just you don't want to do anything that might ruffle any feathers, like even unintentionally. Right. Sure. Like you want yeah. the children to feel comfortable. You want their mom to feel comfortable. That's really all that I ever wanted. You and want the dad that's the linchpin holding all of this together. <laughs> Yeah. To feel comfortable. <laughs> right. All of it. Because they're just emotions, I think, can run really, really high. And so I'd love to tell you that from the beginning, we got it all right. But none of us did. Right. I think we would all three tell you that we've made a lot of mistakes. Um, we have probably not been the be best versions of ourselves many, many times. But at the end of the day, what we all do is love the kids. And it was more important to us to make sure that their life was good and to make sure that they could see us having a healthy relationship than for in, for us to get bogged down into um, what does anybody else think about this? Or should we actually be doing these things together? Because I mean, we've, you know, gone on a vacation together. 
Like we've gone, she and I have gone to concerts together, just the two of us. You know, we've taken the kids places, just the two of us, she and I. And that in my mind is the best thing that could have ever happened for the kids, you know, because I'm not trying to be their mom. They don't need another mom. They have a great mom that loves them and accepts them and, you know, gets to do all of the mom things. I just am feel really lucky because I get to be there, right? So I get to a, um, an up close and personal front row seat to their life and I get to love on them and just be be present as much as they want me to. And so I am just thankful to have that relationship with them. Thankful too that she has also reciprocated that friendship because that's just made it easier. Yeah. And I think the the kids will benefit very greatly from that. You went into a marriage with, uh, and your husband had two sons at the time, right? Yes. And this ex-spouse is parent to both of them, right? Yes. So, so both, mm-hmm. both the older boys are, are yes. okay. And then you have a son of your own. So you're a boy mom, yes, <laughs> clearly. I am. And from a son's perspective, from a mm-hmm. boy's perspective, uh, I mean, let's be honest, there's a grown up boy still in here, or there's, there's a boy in this grown up man still. <laughs> I think the example that you and Michaela are setting for not only peacekeeping, but peacemaking and home making and relationship building, strong women, independent women, but interdependent women. I think that's going to set a great example for these young men as they grow up to view women with a higher level of respect and calling and endearment. I agree. I don't see how it could not lead to that. Mm. Well, and their mom is a rock star. I can't imagine anything just off the top of my head more difficult than being a single mom. You know, you're working, you're raising your children, and you are really devoting all of your free time to loving on them and making sure that they are becoming the men that they responsible men that they need to be. And yes, we co-parent, you know, yes, we're involved, but also that, you know, they spend a lot of their time with their mom as they should, as they should, mom. Yes. And so it's just, she's a rock star and they, you know, they know that and they see that. And I'm so thankful that they have her as an example because they will, they will view women differently. I think because of that. From an outsider's perspective, it has been interesting to watch you all blend that together and interweave it into this really cool thing that you've done. Well, it's just one of those things. I know that I could call her at three o'clock in the morning if I needed someone and she would be there and vice versa. And that's just a great place to be. Yeah. Listeners will know that I produce uh, another podcast called Someone Like Me, and it is the official podcast of End Slavery Tennessee. And in my work there, I have studied the world of trauma. Mm-hmm. So I can gain an understanding of what the conversations are on this show, what the trafficking survivors have experienced. Um, and that has led to just a deeper understanding 
and I'm going to say appreciation because I appreciate the growth that I'm getting from it, just the world of trauma Mm -hmm. and the levels at which we all have a certain degree of trauma. And I caught snippets of a little bit of your story in relation to trauma. I don't know the full story, but I would love to know as much as you would be willing to share, because I think hearing someone's navigation of their own trauma, like -hmm. what they went through, like the valleys they dove through, the mountaintops that they came out on the other side and then drove right down into another valley, just all of that cycle. I think people can benefit from hearing another person's journey, which is why I think the literary genre of biographies and autobiographies are so popular because we like to know what other people's life experiences were like. And it's a large reason why this show is what it is because they're conversational biographies. Right. Would you kind of walk us through what that trauma was, how you've worked through it, how you're still working through it? Someone listening to this is going to benefit uh, from your story. Could you share some of that? Absolutely. So I grew up in a, you know, seemingly normal on the outside home. I have two great parents. I also, during my childhood, all of my childhood years, suffered from, you know, a a very um, just long-standing level of abuse, whether that be emotional abuse, physical abuse, mental abuse, sometimes spiritual abuse, just a variety of different things that I didn't realize at the time was having a huge impact on every aspect of my being. So everything from the way I respond to things verbally to the way my body tenses up in specific situations to the way that I just generally carry myself all the time. I never realized when I was younger, and I would say even into my early 20s, how all of that was affecting me and, and, and to some extent bleeding out into every area of my life and all the decisions that I was making and a variety of things. And so fast forward to getting married in my mid-20s and really being excited about that and then realizing that I'm not my best self and I'm not being my full self in this relationship. There are parts of me that I keep hidden because it's a defense mechanism. There are things that I won't say because I had been conditioned in an environment that some of the things that I might want to say or express, I shouldn't. It wouldn't have been safe for me to do so. And so three and a half years into a marriage where you're not able to be a great communicator, you're withholding, you know, parts of yourself, that's not sustainable for a long period of time. And so there was a breakdown in that marriage and we ultimately divorced. And it was the moment that I was going through that divorce that my world for the very first time felt like it started to crumble around me. I remember sitting in the house that we lived in. He had moved out and I was all alone 
And I think the reality of being all alone had me, somehow it opened my eyes to me. I don't know if it was kind of the first time I had really just been still and all alone because of course I, I went, I moved out of my house and I went to college and I always had a roommate and then I left college and I always had a roommate and then I got married and I, and I always had a roommate <laughs> and all of a sudden there's no one there. And I started to have what I know now to be panic attacks and anxiety I didn't know then what it was. I thought I was dying. Mm. Like I thought something was physically wrong with me that there ha- I, like I had to have a brain tumor or some kind of some kind of ailment was um striking my body because I had ne- I truly even through everything that I had been through I had never experienced a day of anxiety in my life. I never experienced panic. But what I think happened looking back is that I had just withheld and withheld and withheld inside myself for so long, did not allow myself to really express my feelings, held so much back and kept it in for so long that it had to come out somehow. And that's how it started coming out. And the panic attacks, the anxiety attacks or or tremors or whatever you're describing? Panic and anxiety. And I became so consumed because it was like the more anxiety I had, the more I dwelled on the anxiety. And I was afraid that the panic attacks would continue to come. And I would sit and anticipate when would the next one come? Because if it struck you when you were in a store, then you feel like you're, you, you might feel like you're going to pass out or you can't breathe. And how, what's going to happen if I can't get out of this store? And there's just so many things that go along with it, right? Um, I, I remember just the more I focused on it, the worse it became. And so I really got to the point where I wasn't sleeping. I couldn't drive. I really, really hit rock bottom. And so I ended up moving in with a family member And was so thankful for that because I was at the lowest of the low and I did not know how to dig myself out of the pit. I don't know that I could have dug myself out of the pit at that time. And they, you know, really helped me realize that I probably needed to see a therapist. I'd never done that before in my life that I needed to talk to someone and then that I really needed to seek help both from a mental health perspective and maybe also from a medical perspective yeah. um, just to get it under control. Yeah. Cause it's, those are connected, right? <laughs> mental health and medical health, physical health. Yes. And so that was not something that I wanted to do. Seeing the therapist was fine. But seeking the help of a medical doctor in my mind meant that I was going to have to take medication. And that is not something that I wanted to do. I I, I was so anti that and against that. And I thought that somehow that made me a weaker person because I was going to have to do that. And it was really, really hard for me to die to that. And I eventually did. (laughs) But to die to that and say, If I had diabetes, 
and I needed to take a medicine for it, then I would do that. If I had high blood pressure and it had to come down and I had to take medicine for it, I would do that. Yep. But I wasn't okay with taking medicine so that I could function, you know, from an anxiety and panic perspective. And so I've often marveled at the uh, criticism of mind altering drugs because hello, your mind is residing in your brain. It's an organ. You'll take Mm -hmm. liver medicine, you'll take blood sugar medicine, all this stuff Mm -hmm. that's below the neck, Mm -hmm. but God forbid you take care of the organ inside your head (laughs) that drives it all. So yeah, good for you. Yeah. And so what I I realized is obviously I, I did, I started seeing an amazing therapist where I was able to say some things out loud that I had never said before. I never verbalized it in my whole life. And I will never forget it. Like it was so empowering for me because I had never felt safe to say some of the things that I said in that room anywhere else. And I felt so much freedom in that room knowing that, you know, this person was not going to judge me. This person was not going to shame me. They were there to hear and provide support. And that was a huge turning point for me from a, you know, from just an emotional perspective and also a mental health perspective. It helped me find my footing in a way that I never had. I was able to empower myself to make some hard decisions that needed to be made to cut off some relationships in my life that I don't know that I ever would have had the courage to do without doing that, but it was necessary. And I don't advocate that holistically for people, right? Like that's never the answer in my mind is to cut off a relationship, but there are some cases where it's necessary for your mental and emotional health. Well, to carry the, lower extremities metaphor. I mean, if you're bleeding out, sometimes you need to cut off the blood supply. <laughs> right. You know, right. you've got, you've got to apply a tourniquet. Right. So if there's an, a relational tourniquet that needs to be applied, even if it's just temporary. Right. Apply it. Yes. And it doesn't even necessarily have to be about something that the other person is actively doing in that moment. But if you are continuing to shame and harm yourself by being in an active relationship with them, then it's still okay, (laughs) you know, to cut it off. Um, Because I think that if we can't get ourselves healthy and if we're unable to get healthy, then it's not productive anyway. So the best thing we can do is get healthy. And then if we can reconcile, that would be the ultimate goal. So, and, and then simultaneously with that therapy experience, I did also go and see my medical doctor and he was just really kind about it. Honestly, he could see the struggle that I was having with not wanting to take medication and really not wanting to do that. And he just really encouraged me in the process. And so I did eventually say yes, and it was a great decision for me. Because I was able to come back to myself. And for me, it's not been something that has been lifelong. 
like, you know, like now I'm not on medication, but there have been two seasons in my life where I have needed it. And Mm. it helped me get to where I needed to be. And so I think sometimes we can have, each of us have our own individual situations. Some people might need it all the time. Great. If, If that's what you need all the time, you shouldn't feel any shame over that. And if, if it's just a bridge to health where you don't need it all the time, that's great too. You know? Yeah. So, Would you say that there was a turning point in the therapist's office at the moment you were able to verbalize the words that you were never able to get out? Like, mm-hmm. was that a turning point or was that like the turning point that really started you on your health uh, and recovery journey? It was probably the starting, like the point, because I think that some of these things that I had been holding in, they were silently killing me, right? In their own way, um, because I was continually shaming myself for having this thought, for having this belief, for having these things inside of me. And so for me to be able to say it out loud and just get it off my chest and not be the only person who was feeling this information, hearing this information, knowing this information, just being able to put it out there. It was like, I remember sobbing for a very long time, but then it was also like I could breathe after saying it. Like, I don't think we realize sometimes the weight of some of the things that we hold in and we never say. And I especially think this is true, you know, with just the enemy of our souls is that he wants us to believe that if we were to say some of those things out loud, that people would condemn us and shame us and do all these things. And so what I actually have found is that the times that I have been courageous enough to say some of these things and to share parts of the story is that it actually builds community and in building community and in connecting with other people, it destigmatizes what you're going through and it also reduces the shame. Mm. As a photographer, I'm thinking in pictures. So what I'm envisioning right now, as you describing this, that you're able to verbalize it, it, it's appearing to me as if what you said, those words and Mm -hmm. the verbalizing is a cork or was a cork Mm -hmm. stuck down inside a champagne bottle that had been shaken up. Mm -hmm. And there's this pressure building up behind the cork. Mm -hmm. And then when the cork pops, there's Mm -hmm. this celebratory champagne explosion. Yes. Is that close? Am I piecing that together? Yes. And think about it like you've shaken it up and there's all this pressure. Well, eventually the pressure has to go somewhere (laughs) or it's just being held inside. And for it to continue to be held inside is what resulted in the anxiety and the panic because my body wasn't capable of holding it inside anymore. It had been holding it inside for 28 years. So your body can't take it forever. And we have to be good to our bodies 
right? We have to be good to our bodies. We have to be we good only to get our one. Moms. We <laughs> yeah. only get one. And I think about the muscle memory that comes with trauma. You know, like you said, everyone has trauma. Everyone might have a different level of it and it might be in a different form, but our body remembers. And so for some of us, there are sounds, there are smells, there are sights, there are things that can send your body back in an instant to a moment. And your body, it's so familiar. I don't even really know how to explain it, but your body will almost assume a position internally of either like fight or flight or hide. Or, I mean, there's so many ways that you could eat. It's all your protection or your adrenaline might start pumping. I mean, there's just, there's so many different ways that your body might respond to it. And it still happens. It still happens to me, you know, but I also now I have learned what I need to do to process through. Everybody needs to find their own coping skills and their own coping mechanisms. But I have learned what I need to do when those things creep in for me or when I go through a moment that is like, maybe there is a a sound or a a sight or a smell or something that takes you back to a moment. I now know what I need to do to not go to a bad place emotionally and mentally. So. Wow. That's rich. In previous conversations, you had used the words biblically illiterate. Mm -hmm. And since I've known you, I've always known you to be a woman of faith. So I was a little surprised mm-hmm. when you said that you were biblically illiterate. And it was in the context of you then started to become biblically literate. Yeah. Tell me about that a little bit. Like what what made you go from, wow, I don't really know what is in this book mm-hmm. to, oh my gosh, I need to know what's in this book. Mm-hmm. And what have you found once you've dug in? So I referenced earlier that there have been two seasons. I have hit what I would consider to be rock bottom in my own life. And one was after my divorce. And the second one was about somewhere between four and five years ago. The older I get and the, you know, I just, <laughs> I lose all track of, was it yesterday or was it three years ago? I well, don't know. The, the um, reason <laughs> is because every year that goes by is a smaller fraction of your life. It's true. And it's so fast. <laughs> when you're two, a year is half of your life. When you're 50, yes. it's only one fiftieth. It's just I a know. sliver. <laughs> it's a sliver. So I don't That's know, why it goes five fast. years ago, something. Um, I had a very familiar feeling one day. I had taken my youngest son to a swim meet and we were riding back from the swim meet and we were on this big mountain. That's only about 30 minutes from my house. And we were at the top of the mountain and we were about to come down the mountain. And all of a sudden I felt something that I had not felt in a decade, but it was very familiar. Mm. (laughs) It was very familiar. And I thought, I'm about to have a panic attack and I don't know why. And I don't know what I'm going to do because it's me and my young son. And I'm in this massive SUV and there's the side of the mountain and I'm going down it. And there's all these like tractor trailers whizzing by me. 
And so the more as a mom that I took in the situation, it wasn't helping me. Like I was not calming down because it was just making it worse. And in that moment, I just kept thinking, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? And I couldn't think, I was like, I need scripture. I need something. I got to have something to say. And, and all I could think of, there was this like scripture rolling around and it just like popped into my head. And it was like, you've not been given a spirit of fear, but a power of love and a sound mind. And I just kept saying, I have a sound mind. <laughs> I have a sound mind. Like I have a sound mind. And I finally made it to the bottom of this mountain and I pulled over and I was shaking so bad. And I called a friend and I said, you have to come and get me. I was like, I can't drive the rest of the way. I was only like 10 minutes from my house and I called her and I was trying to keep my youngest from understanding what was happening because I didn't want him to be freaked out. And he had never seen his mom like this before because in his whole life, this had never been something that I had dealt with. And so I called her, she came and she's like, okay, well, do you feel like you can drive home? And I was like, no, we're leaving the car here. Somebody will come get it later. Can you just get me home? And so she drove me home and made sure I was okay. And I plummeted. I'm going to cry. I plummeted after that, like maybe even harder than I did the first time. Mm. And I was so confused because I could not for the life of me figure out what brought it on. And so I was really angry and I was really confused because I thought I conquered this and I've not dealt with it anymore. And then it has the nerve to show up at like the a happy time, a great time just out of the blue, like surely it could have just given me a warning, right? (laughs) Like that I could have dealt with and it didn't. And I spiraled really far down, like after that, really far down. And I lost about 20 to 30 pounds in six weeks. I became like a shell of myself. I didn't leave my house. I didn't leave my bedroom. Most of the time I was terrified that I was going to die. I was riddled with fear and anxiety. And I was just trying to sort it all out in my head. And I had a, a moment one night where in the middle of the night, I was having a hard time sleeping And I remember the voices in my head, (laughs) literally, I call them that, like the the voices (laughs) in my head, just, you know, we all, we lay there and we think things and we Mm -hmm. ponder the, the day and all the things. And that's what I was doing. And I just kept, it just kept getting louder and louder and louder. And it was, it was truly the voice of the enemy. And he just kept whispering all these lies to me. And I remember that his voice was getting so loud and I just started shaking my head back and forth because I thought maybe I can shake my head hard enough for this voice to shake out. And I remember at one point the voice said, why don't you just end it? Mm. 
And I had never been there before in my life. I had never understood how someone got to that point. I just, just pra- like realistically, I'm just being really honest. I, I never understood before that moment how someone had gotten so low that they would have that thought. But then I did because I was like, yeah, because if I did that, then maybe this would stop. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I remember sitting up in my bed and I was just like, no, <laughs> no, <laughs> that's not, that's just, that's not reality. And that's not happening. And it led me really like to the feet of Jesus because I thought, what else is there? I'm either going to believe this, all this junk, I'm going to sit in it and keep stewing in it. Or maybe I can open the Bible and I can see what the Lord has to say. Cause I really feel like there's only two options here. Yeah. I can either keep sinking low or I can try to find like I can try to find something that might help me. And the only thing I could think of that would lift me up would be the word of God. And so that led me to a journey of just sitting with the Lord. And I consumed my Bible, the whole thing. Then I was like, whoa, (laughs) I had never read the whole Bible before. I mean, I had sat in church plenty of times, heard a ton of sermons, memorized a few scriptures here and there, but I had never sat down and read the word like that before. And there's something about going cover to cover that you Mm -hmm. see that overarching meta narrative that if you start in Genesis and you pull a thread, then the last page of the book is going to crinkle because it's all woven in. It's true. And yeah, it's miraculous. And I realized that it was a love story. Mm -hmm. Like it's the most beautiful love story of all time. And so I thought, okay, here's how the Lord feels about me. (laughs) here's who he says that I am. So why am I living like this? Come on. So, but what I real what you referenced is what I realized is that I was like literally spiritually deficient and biblically illiterate. And so I thought I've got to surround myself with the word because if I surround myself with the word, then I know how to speak back when that voice comes in that tries to tell me a lie about myself that I'm, not worthy, that I'm ugly, that I'm not wanted, that I'm a terrible mom, that I'm a terrible wife, you know, just all the things he does, all the tricks and, and all the, all the things. And so what I did was I got myself a dry erase marker and I got into my shower. I have an old school shower, like just the fiberglass old school shower. Mm -hmm. And I took my dry erase marker and I filled the walls of my shower with scripture like to the point that I didn't tell my husband. So when he came home that day and he opened the shower to get in, he literally gasped. He was like, Shannon, what, what is this? And I was like, it's just what I have to do right now. Yeah. Because I found that when I was idle, like when my mind was idle, I didn't know enough. I wasn't strong enough in some of those moments to speak back to it. And so my mind was often idle in the shower because it's just, you're just there. Like, it's like you in the water and there's a lot of time to think, you know, while you're standing there, a lot of great ideas come when you're in the shower. Indeed. 
And so, but you can also memorize scripture when you're in the shower. And that's what I did. That's true. And so I just, I read it and I read it and I read it and it was like a balm to my soul. And so I feel like that's what saved my life. The Lord saved my life truly. And I just am not the same person, not the same person. And in that season also went to a therapist also took medication, did Mm. all the things that I needed to do to bring my whole person back to health. I spiritually nourished myself. I mentally nourished myself and I physically nourished my body just to get back, get it all back to a healthy place where it needed to be. And I'm thankful that all of those things are available to us, you know, because for me, I needed all of them. You know, what any of us would want or desire is the miraculous healing. And I prayed for it. Like I, I wholeheartedly wanted like a miracle healing because I know he can do it. But for me, I think I also needed to go to, through the process. So. <laughs> yes. Yes. It, it can definitely be done, but that doesn't need, mean it needs to be done at that moment because there's there's something that we might miss out on. <laughs> yeah. It, yeah. If, I mean, the rescue has been paid and done, but if we're rescued out of every little situation, then there's no opportunity for growth. Right. Which actually is parenting. Yeah. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yes. And it was good because I needed heart change. I needed mind change. I needed life change. I needed to understand how the Lord sees us as I truly didn't know. I know what I've heard in church. I know what I've seen, but I had not spent the time in the word to know. And then once I knew it's like, you're no longer blind. (laughs) Yeah. And I know that there are, there's so many things that one can glean from, being in the word, but can you think of one thing in particular that you are now biblically literate of that you didn't know? What was an epiphany of sorts? What was a revelation or a realization through that process? I think that I thought that God might be a mad God. Like he might be this guy that's just up there and he's like real grumpy at us all the time because we don't ever get it right. And (laughs) that he's like potentially going to strike us with lightning at like any moment and that he's more harsh. That was the view I think that I had of him in my mind. So I had a fear-based faith and now i have a love based faith mm, come on where i know that's not who he is at all and that became so clear to me when i read the word i was like oh my goodness i've seen you incorrectly almost my whole life like i had this view of you that was so inaccurate and so now i can say well all of those things that i've walked through are really hard And I wouldn't want them for myself or anyone else. They led me to this moment 
where I intimately know who he is and I trust him implicitly. And it is just a beautiful place to be. And so I'm so thankful for that. And I think too, it gave me an up close and personal view of also how he views women. And Mm -hmm. that was also really beautiful because, Mm -hmm. you know, we as humans can sometimes twist things to fit a narrative that we either want it to be, or that maybe is just passed on from generation to generation or in a specific denomination or whatnot. And when you read the word of God, it's really clear how he feels about people, not just women, but it's also really clear how he feels about women. Yeah. (laughs) So, yeah, that was one of the the highlights that I picked up too, to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. And another one is it's equally profound, but maybe not as poetic is there was a realization for me that Jesus isn't white. Right. Yep. Exactly. Exactly. Mind blown. I'm like, I knew it, but I didn't know it. Yes. You did because when you probably went to church as a child, you saw white Jesus. I saw the brown haired Jesus with the blue eyes. Yes. And I saw the Jesus of Nazareth movie with the brown haired Jesus with the blue eyes. Yes. And I had either not been taught or I had not realized that he was just a dude. I mean, yeah. the Bible even says that there was nothing about him that was particularly attractive or endearing. He was, he was just a guy and hello. He was born and raised in the middle East. Yeah. He wasn't white. Hello. (laughs) He wasn't white. And, and for that matter, we're not either. We're just a really light shade of Brown. Right. Right. There (laughs) Um, you go. This is a whole conversation that I had (laughs) with our youngest, like, because I thought, you know what? I just want to make sure that he's really clear on this. Because somewhere along the way, it got whitewashed. And that's not okay. I mean, it's not. Yeah. The the, the picture that just came in my mind is, uh, I don't know if you've seen the documentary Food Inc., where they talk about the Chicken McNugget, where yeah. it is so processed that everything, every chicken essence is processed out of it. So that, and it's literally white goo or pink goo is just bleh. and mm-hmm. then they have to enrich i'm doing air quotes enrich it with <laughs> chicken flavor and chicken you know all this chicken brownness i'm like if you would just stop the processing mm-hmm. stop making it what you want it to be so you can have the little boot shape in every box just <laughs> let it be chicken and it's not yes. whitewashed so yeah. I, I know that that's that's a, a silly segue, but that that's the way my mind works. But I, I think I think the metaphor is apt. Mm-hmm. I hope you're enjoying this audio biography so far. Even after knowing Shannon for 20 years, I've learned several things about her and from her that I'll be pondering for quite some time. Next, we'll continue into food for the soul and spirit. Then Shannon turns the tables to ask me a probing question. Come along. Do you have a current song? Mm. I have a lot of songs. So 
one of my favorite things, and, and I started this five years ago in this process that I went through, is that I really felt like one of the other things that I needed to do was surround myself with the word just in my music. And so I just, I, I'm not one of those, like, I don't believe that like, you know, regular music is bad or evil or any of those things. But I was in a season where I really just needed to surround myself from all sides with like positive things. And so I've started listening to worship music, which I had never done before. Never really listened to Christian music, never listened to like praise and worship music or any of those things. And I started doing that and I do that almost every single day. It just fills our house almost every day. And so it's one of the, it's just one of the ways that I spend my time in communion with the Lord really is just through that. And so I love so many songs, like it's hard to pick one, but one of the ones that I love right now, and I don't think it's a new song, but it's evidence by Josh Baldwin. And it's really just talking about how you see his evidence all around you. And it's so good. So if you don't know it and haven't listened to it, you have to. I do know that song. And that one lands in a playlist that I listen to the most often when I'm trail running. And that is a playlist I have called Creation. Oh. And in this, in this playlist, it is all songs about our planet. And the creator thereof. That's so cool. So the line in that song, the winter storms made way for spring. Hello, this is creation. In every season from where I'm standing, I see the evidence of your goodness. Yes. Um, My current song is Graves into Gardens. I love that song. And I love the bridge because it's pictures. You turn graves into gardens, basically a dark to light story. You turn bones into armies. You turn seas into highways. It's <laughs> every time it comes on, I'm just like, okay, kids, I need to have, <laughs> I need yes. to have a moment. Yes. I, oh my goodness. Yes. We need to do like song hour. Like I have so many songs <laughs> I want to talk about now. I'm like, uh, go listen to prepare the way, go listen to rest on us, go listen to so many songs. Yes. So good. Well, we have bantered on for, I don't even see the timer anymore. It's been a while and don't it's look. been awesome. It's been a while <laughs> and it's been awesome. One of the things I want to do in this particular season is stop talking. In order for me to do that, I want to turn the tables. So what question would you have for me? I do have a question for you. What has been... I would say maybe like you can reflect on the last like five, 10 years, but what would you say, where would you say you've seen the Lord show up in your life in the biggest way or what has been the most impactful way that the Lord has shown up in your life in the last five to 10 years, five to 10 years. I'm going to extend it to 11 and a half because that's how old my oldest child is. Oh, um, (laughs) I may not make it through this. Uh, you're going to catch me. Okay. That's okay. I'm pulling it together because I have to tell the story. And listeners, you're not going to see this, but I'm showing Shannon a tattoo on my arm. This is a mashup word. It is spelled F O R 
G-I-V-E-N-G. It's a mashup of forgiven and That's forgiving. So cool. This is a one-word mashup of that line in the Lord's Prayer. Yeah. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors or those who trespass gets us. Pick your translation. Mm-hmm. This right here. And I got this when Molly, I got this you know, probably 10 years ago uh, when Molly was one because becoming a dad mm-hmm. now two more times just opened my eyes so much and it revealed some things that I was holding on to mm-hmm. that I didn't want to hold on to anymore because I didn't want to pass them along to her. Mm-hmm. nor to her sister and now her brother. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go with that. Yeah. I still struggle with that some. I still get ensnared in that, but like your breakthrough and you, I've found my coping mechanisms mm-hmm. and slowly but surely he's turning this grave into a garden. Yes. Which is probably why this song resonates with me so much. Yes. And have you seen the movie, The Shack? I've not seen the movie, but I've read the audiobook. There is this beautiful scene in the movie where the Holy Spirit, sorry you, who represents the Holy Spirit in the movie, she is in a garden. And she is literally like tilling it up, like with her hands. Mm. It was one of the most powerful scenes Mm. because that is what happens in us. And he turns that into something beautiful and oh, how thankful I am (laughs) even for all the things that hurt. Yeah. Which leads me to another song. I just love the poetry of this. I mean, this, this could be a Psalm and it is the garden by Carrie Job. Mm. Yes. This one is also in my creation playlist because he's written the secrets of the kingdom upon all creation so that we are without excuse. Yeah. I see the ivy. So she she writes about going into a garden because she just needs to get back to nature. Mm-hmm. She needs to sweep away the ashes, wake her from her sleep, and then she, and then she realizes... You've never left. And for the moment you planned ahead that I would see your faithfulness in all of the garden. I see the ivy growing through the wall because you will stop at nothing to heal my broken soul. Mm -hmm. Faith is like rising up like ivy, reaching for the light. Hope is stirring deep inside me, making all things right. I mean, if, if that is not an anthem for what you and I have talked about tonight, but yeah. we're not alone on our separate journeys. A lot of people are having this similar journey. <laughs> yeah. They just don't have their mics turned on when they're talking about it. Or maybe they're not even talking about it. Right. And wherever you are in your journey, if you're listening, wherever you are in your journey, it's okay. Yes. And she ends it with, and now I see redemption growing in the trees, the death and resurrection in every single seed. Mm. And so it continues yeah sing yep. to the kingdom <laughs> it's so good it's so good 
Yeah. Mm. There you have it. A real-life conversational biography with my friend Shannon Stowe. For more of these conversations, subscribe now at collectedclan.com slash follow or at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts to never miss an episode. It's free to listen. Two more things. Pop over to collectedclan.com slash Shannon Stowe. Remember, she's a one N Shannon, so that's collectedclan.com slash S-H-A-N-O-N S-T-O-W-E for the Spotify playlists plus a link to Convoy of Hope. Finally, I'd love to hear from you. Drop a note to collectedclan at gmail.com or leave a voice message at 615-592-5017. Your thoughts and feedback are always welcome. And as always, a big shout out to my friends Worldwide Groove Corporation for this episode's original music. The song is Mimosa from their album Chilodesiac Lounge Volume 1. Check out more of their music at WorldwideGrooveCorporation.com. Thank you again for listening. Now go be you.